Hello and welcome to Deer Tracks. It's great to have you here in my neck of the woods for another episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. I'm James Kibbe, and this week I've got a great lineup of poems for you. But before we get into that, I wanted to remind everyone that the Deer Tracks podcast is a place where creativity lives, where our longings, our delights, our disappointments, and our passions are breathed out, marking the trail of our journey. These are the tracks we make and the ones we follow to find the deepest parts of ourselves, our true selves. During each episode, you will hear echoes of the past as well as current voices through discussions about and performances of creative works. Our goal is to build community and inspire others in their creative pursuits, which is why we invite our listeners to submit their work for the opportunity of hearing it on a future episode or seeing it on our blog site, www.deertrackspodcast.blog. If you have work that you would like to submit to me, you can email it to james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Also, if you enjoy the content of this podcast, please leave a five-star rating and positive review and share it with anyone you know who will enjoy this podcast as much as you. And now, on to this week's show. It's been too long, my friends. But I'm looking forward to this new season as I've got some fun things planned, catching up with some old friends and hopefully making new friends along the way. I hope all of you listening in the Northern Hemisphere had an excellent summer. And if you're listening from the Southern Hemisphere, then your summer is just beginning. So make it a great one. Anyway, these past few months for me have been busy, but I was able to find some time to read and write. Reading is so important, especially if you want to improve as a writer. Some of the malls around me have been sold and are transitioning into mixed-use spaces where there will be some retail but also apartments and space for various exhibits or special events. The reason why I'm talking about dying malls is that in another mall they have two used bookstores. Uh, This mall is actually a little bit closer to me. And I know you probably weren't jumping out of your seat with excitement after I said that, But it was exciting for me as I was able to stock my personal library with some older books, especially those that may be out of print. Now, getting books that are used is a communal experience, in my opinion, especially if the previous owner liked to underline and make notes in the margins. In a way, used books are like a bridge through time to where uh, you and the previous owner are sitting together, conversing with the author. In a way, they provide the model for how ideas should be shared in a civilized society. You and I listening, asking questions, conversing, making connections. Maybe I'm getting too sentimental, but I'm led to think that these are things we're losing in a more digital and so-called advanced age. Without realizing it, we may be witnessing the dehumanization of society. Maybe the fear of an AI takeover as portrayed in movies like The Terminator isn't so much that our machines will turn on us, but that we become the machines, that we take on their inner nature rather than them taking on our outer nature. Now, you might be wondering how I went from I like used books to AI takeover, 
And it seems like a radical shift, the, the kind of shift that you'd expect in a conversation with your crazy uncle. But there is a connecting point, and that is the life of the soul. We are not simply bodies, but we are bodies with souls, and how we form our souls greatly impacts ourselves and our community. The more we allow our lives to be shaped by machines, the more likely it is that we become mechanistic ourselves, seeing the world as a series of ones and zeros, rather than through the lens of compassion. This is why I'm not a huge fan of how analytics has taken over many sports like baseball, but if I went down that rabbit hole, then I would be your crazy uncle. Ultimately, my point is that, as we grow further apart from one another, we become less, not more. Science and technology have done a lot of good for humanity. Both are important in understanding and overcoming challenges in the natural world. These, however, have been perverted as we seek to create life outside of the normal processes. This is one of the flames of inspiration for our first poem titled The Spirit, which was written by me. And I hope you enjoy it. In a fever, the mad scientist sows, rotting flesh to mimic angelic forms, with a patchwork of human scraps, carefully pulling each suture loop. His masterpiece, a crazed obsession to harness creative force, animating monstrosity whose arithmetic resides in the devil's notes. At which point does transfiguration occur when a man becomes his demon self? No saint foams at the mouth before a cacophony of mortal elements, sending pulse after pulse to jostle degenerate cells like microscopic hibernating bears whose blind fury boils black blood, setting off the heart like a steam engine. What rises from the table is not man, neither is it beast. This horrid mannequin, this soulless mass of potsherds, is an unbridled stomach, a bottomless pit, a wildfire set against the highlands and the lowlands, where trees whisper the mind of God. What ugly weapons do men forge to bring their own apocalypse, tearing life's veil, revealing our true natures, ascending and descending, in contest and conquest, grappling on the end of a spear that could pierce us both. That was my poem titled, The Spear. One word that comes to mind when thinking about our next poem is juxtaposition. This is when you place two things next to each other, usually to compare or contrast. In John's done, upon the Annunciation and Passion falling upon one day, he reflects on how the church calendar, at that time, juxtaposed the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would be with child, and the Passion, when Christ was crucified on the cross, by having the remembrance fall on the same day. What I love about Dunn's poem is his perspective. He writes as if he is witnessing both events happening simultaneously, even overlapping, drawing inferences between the promise of life and its inevitable end. Growing up as a young Catholic during a time in England when professing so would lead to death, young John was well acquainted with the grim reality of man's hatred toward one another. Christ's fate on earth was no different than the men and women he saw hanged and possibly quartered. 
However, Christ did come and walk the road we all will one day. John points this out and makes the observation that by following us, Jesus enables us to follow him. The reason I bring this up is that in order for us to fight against this dehumanization that I mentioned earlier, we need to not only understand that we are bodies with souls, but we must also know to what lengths the maker of our souls has gone to preserve or redeem our souls. Self-sacrifice is the most humanizing thing anyone can do. It's an act of the will that chooses the lives of others over itself, and it flows out of love and compassion. It's no coincidence that we have stories like Beauty and the Beast, where a selfish human being is portrayed as a hideous beast and only sheds his beastly nature when he learns how to love selflessly. Or, if you're familiar with Homer's Odyssey, uh, The Great Achilles, a god among men is more human when he chooses to show compassion, especially towards his enemies. Christ dying on the cross was not a happenstance. It was planned before his birth, and he chose to walk that hard road because it would result in our salvation. We are invited to do the same and find ourselves in his story. So here is John Donne's poem, Upon the Annunciation and Passion Falling on One Day. Tamely frail body, abstain today, today my soul eats twice, Christ hither in a way. She sees him man, so like God made in this, that of them both a circle emblem is, whose first and last concur this doubtful day, of feast or fast, Christ came and went away. She sees him nothing, twice at once, who's all. She sees a cedar plant itself and fall. Her maker put to making, and the head of life at once not yet alive, yet dead. She sees at once the virgin mother stay, reclused at home, public at Golgotha. Sad and rejoiced she's seen at once and seen, at almost fifty and at scarce fifteen. At once the son is promised her and gone. Gabriel gives Christ to her, he her to John, not fully a mother, She's an orbity, at once receiver and the legacy. All this and all between this day hath shown the abridgment of Christ's story, which makes one, as in plain maps the furthest west is east of the angel's ave and the consummatum est. How well the church, God's court of faculties, deals in sometimes and seldom joining these as by the self-fixed pole we never do, direct our course, but the next star thereto, which shows where the other is, in which we say, because it strays not far, doth never stray. So God by his church, nearest to him we know, and stand firm if we by her motion go. His spirit, as his fiery pillar, doth lead, and his church as cloud to one end both. This church, by letting those days join, hath shown death and conception in mankind is one. Or twas in him the same humility, that he would be a man and leave to be. Or as creation he hath made as God, with the last judgment but one period. His imitating spouse would join in one. Manhood's extremes, he shall come 
he is gone. Or as though one blood drop which thence did fall, accepted would have served, he yet shed all. So though the least of his pains, deeds, or words, would busy a life she all this day affords, this treasure then engross my soul a play, and in my life retail it every day. That was Upon the Annunciation and Passion Falling Upon One Day by John Donne. When I sit down to write out the script for these episodes, I don't always know where these poems are going to take me. So I hope I've been making some sense so far. We've turned inward and we've turned upward. Now our next move is to turn outward. There is something really inspiring and beautiful about community. Take a moment to think about all the people who make up your neighborhood and just how different everyone is, yet each plays a part in establishing and enriching your neighborhood. Being in a community, knowing our neighbors, helps us to connect with other people and enables us to express love and compassion. These were the two things I referenced earlier that make us more human. Well, our final poem for this episode gives us one more thing, and that is freedom. If you live in a free country, as I live in the United States, you probably don't think much about how essential freedom is to your ability to flourish. This is also dangerous because it can make us unaware of the efforts made to take our freedom away. In Walt Whitman's poem, I Hear America Singing, which I'll read in a moment, he is captivated by the song of everyday Americans as they go about their work, building a country through building their own lives. We sometimes hear people talk about work as if it's a curse, and there are elements of it that would suggest a curse is at play, but work itself is not evil. We are created to do work, and it's in doing work that we are able to realize our purpose and fulfill our potential. And in order for work to serve this end, we need to be free. Freedom enables us to flourish. This is what I think Whitman is ultimately pointing to. Again, what's wonderful about this poem is that each of the people he hears singing are those you would likely find in your neighborhood or in my neighborhood. It's our job to carry freedom forward. And we do so not by making war on our neighbors, but by living a life that upholds the dignity and humanity of every person. So here is Walt Whitman's I Hear America Singing. I hear America singing, the varied carols I hear. Those of mechanics, each one singing, his as it should be, blithe and strong. The carpenter singing his as he measures his plank or beam. The mason singing his as he makes ready for work or leaves off work. The boatman singing what belongs to him in his boat. The deckhand singing on the steamboat deck. The shoemaker singing as he sits on his bench. The hatter singing as he stands. The woodcutter's song, the plowboy's on his way in the morning, or at noon intermission, or at sundown. The delicious singing of the mother, or of the young wife at work, or of the girl sewing or washing. Each singing what belongs to him or her and to none else. The day what belongs to the day. At night the party of young fellows, robust, friendly, singing with open mouths their strong, melodious songs. 
That was I Hear America Singing by Walt Whitman. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard, uh, please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are listening to this podcast. And also, too, don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If you're listening on our blog site, and again, the URL for that is www.deertrackspodcast.blog, then leave a message in the comments section of this post or send me an email to james at deertrackspodcast.blog. And again, if you have a work that you would like to hear on a future episode, uh, you can send that to me. And again, the email is james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Well, until our paths cross again, this is James Kibbe saying, see you next time on the Deer Tracks podcast.